Hello and welcome to Everyday Tunnel number 130, your favorite most deceptively named bi-weekly legacy podcast. Today's show is brought to you by me actually not filling in the show notes. So once again, everybody around the world and especially our special guest that we're going to come to in a moment. If you want to support the running of the show directly, you can support us on patreon.com slash everydayeternal. Well, I was going to ask Callum what he has been up to lately, but Kai, come on, uh, help us out. What has been one of the <laughs> no, biggest puns of your on, entire dude. life? We, we, dude, we're going to go straight into it. Uh, I gotta say, I had, a, I had a pretty sick trip uh, to, um, how's it called, uh, Four Seasons of Bologna. No, dude, I freaking forgot to book that flight, dude. Holy moly. I, the I best had- of us. I had everything planned out. Like the hotel was fully booked. I had my deck for the event ready. I even like had a couple of like schedules, like with you know like be, and people to meet up. Had some dinners already, and like everything was already on the line. And then like the day before, I was like, ah, so um, yeah, I gotta like you know let's just double check the flight tomorrow, right? And it's like, what the what the hell is this email? You know, I just just couldn't find it. And it's like, holy shit, did I just not book the flight yet? And uh, I looked, uh, you know, I, I looked for like alternatives, but they were like crazy expensive. And it's like, dude, fuck it. Wait, so, so help me out. Did, did you not complete the booking? Like, did the website like have some issues, or did you straight up just totally forget to, to I even think, like, look into it? I think probably like this whole like booking a flight was probably just like 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 this, the entirety was like a dream. Probably like it never happened, <laughs> and it probably never tried. And uh, it is like the first time. First time in my life, like doing this, and I feel extremely stupid for this, and um, I, I still do. And if I, yeah, that's that's it's absolutely like it, it kind of like crushed my weekend, but you know what? Um, now I'm kind of like now it's Sunday, you know, like now I'll watch the the, the coverage of the Four Sins tournament, felt a little better about myself. Um, you probably wouldn't have won anyway, so don't <laughs> <worry>. <laughs> I would, right? Like, if you don't go to... Here's, here, okay, here's the thing. Okay? If you don't go to a tournament, you can't O3 drop. Now, that's a good thing, though. Yeah, but O3 dropping in Italy is actually really good because you get to go and hang out with the Italians <laughs> and have food. So, <laughs> Like, if you purposely go to a big event to O3 drop to then hang with your... Like, yeah, why yeah. do you even like why do you even join that tournament, you know? I mean, yeah. Arkin did that for GP Bologna 2019. Like, the guy literally came to the GP and didn't play in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met him and I was talking to him about it and I was really surprised to find that out. Okay. Well, yeah. guys, I, okay, so I have a question to you. Okay, so, you know, like, when do you guys book the flight? Because I, I know a lot of people sign up for a GP or a pro, and not a pro tour, but like, you know, like... G- <laughs> G- G- <laughs> there was a time you could literally call Wizards and sign up for the pro tour. Like, That's hey, how it worked in the 90s, in the yeah. early 90s. Yeah, if you don't mind, can, may I? Okay, now, like, I mean, a GP or, like, any, like, major, like, bigger event, like, two, three, four hundred, what I, what do I know, right? Like, those events. So, you sign up for them, and then when do you book the flight? Like, do that before that, or uh, right usually after? No, usually, usually after the event. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, uh, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I usually, like, do it a day before or so. Wait, a day before? Are you crazy? Well, that's, I'm making fun of Kai. Yeah, dude, I'm like so close to about to leave. <laughs> no, I usually book flights first, like before anything else. I'll see it's on. And a lot oh, of really? depends okay. how expensive they are. So most events don't sell out, right? So I'll, I'll usually buy a ticket earlier, but I'll prioritize booking a flight because they can often jump up in price and yeah. then find out friends to stay with a hotel. Okay. So usually or whatever. When, once I figure out I want to go to an event, I look up the price and if the price is like less than 100 euro, I immediately book it. It's, it's basically mm. like 100 euro is like the, th- the, the threshold where I feel like, oh, this is a steal. I'm going to take it. If it's more than 100 euro, I feel like, eh, let's check again tomorrow or maybe there's a... Tra- like be- being from Munich, you can also like easily train to a lot of these like Northern Italy events at least. 
but yeah, overall, um, okay, usually so quite quite couple of weeks in advance. Okay, let me let me rephrase. Okay, like if you building a deck, booking a flight, and registering for the event, like do um, arrange them in the right order. Go booking the flight, building the deck. Well, it depends. Like I basically finish the deck building process and the registration for the event usually like a day before or something. Oh, really? That's pretty. That's oh yeah, pretty deciding on deck and building a deck is like not a consideration ever. It's <laughs> just like <laughs> oh, the day before. Is like, yeah, yeah, here's some yeah, stuff. You, yeah. You, you just know. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sick. Right. Yeah, you know what makes this even more special, and what actually like made me feel really bad for you was that you had this whole preparation. You had that tournament arc, right, where you just you wanted to go to the event and you you kept prepping for it and streaming your preparation I, for like two dude. or three months you even had that thing where you you, you did like push-ups I, and everything for I, every single loss yeah i called it and maybe some of you guys watched it but i did a stream series called uh the, Bolo the legacy but no bologna legacy training camp where like for every match loss i took i, I did like 30 squats and 30 push-ups or some some shit like that you know just literally just getting ready for that event and then i'm like i'm like that monk just you know not going you know, it actually worked out like Kai lost so much in the preparation. So he, he got like really buffed and he couldn't fit in, into the seat. He was like, oh, too much muscle. Oh, I can't, like, I can't yeah. barely walk. I'm too powerful. Like, like too busy doing push-ups. Couldn't just find the time to book a flight, you know? Like... It was all a scam. You lost weight, gained uh... subscribers and didn't even try and go. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm Dude, actually sure that Kai is actually in Berlin. It could all be yeah. like total scam here. Uh... <laughs> But, oh, yeah. Yeah, but, but you know what? Like, if if I can um, if I can say one more thing though, like I think, um, otherwise I would not be here at um on this beautiful Sunday. So you know, I I guess there's like a lot a lot of good things also. You know, for like missing yeah, the yeah. flight. That, that, that's a I great can... way to look about it. Um, right. My my three year old niece recently she found a really beautiful stone, and she carried it <laughs> home and right at the doorstep it fell down and split into two pieces. Oh no! And then she literally looks up, smiles and says, "Hey, now I have two. Oh, that's good. I like that's, her very much. That's amazing. Yeah. That's just uh, such a tiny little thing, but it really like sh shows the kind of character that she's hopefully growing up to be. That, that was really impressive. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Callum, what have you been up to? Your your uh, show notes are Blank. gaping empty. <laughs> empty. Uh, an abyss. Yeah, I haven't been doing much magic at all recently. It's been Morning, one of these. I guess. Hmm? Morning, the queen. No, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid not. I'm not one of them. No, we had our LLM uh, last week, which was really fun. But there was also like a big music festival, so I was horrifically hungover. So it was it was really fun, but a struggle. And um, yeah, then there was just like a ton of... I've got my band's playing a gig next weekend, doing like an album release show thing, which Ooh. is going to be busy. So I've been doing tons of rehearsals and work has been busy. So I've played like... I played some drafts a day, but otherwise I think I've played like five matches total in the last two weeks. So... Wow. So, so you basically, you, you unleashed the forest as painter onto Magic Online, onto the world, and, and now you just like left it to grow on its own? Yeah, I've got this like half done primus with like bookmarked and winking Wait, at me every done? time. I thought it was like 95% done. No, 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 no. I, I've done like, yeah, half of it. I never said 95. But it's but getting I, there. I, I've, it's I've getting been there. saying that the Everyday Eternal website is 95% done for two years. So Yeah, you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't make promises of almost done. I'm like, the magic number. Yeah, yeah. But um, that's it. That's in the works. Once I get um out of this after the show next week and rehearsals and blah blah blah, I'll get back onto it. It's coming. It's slow, but it'll be it'll be nice and long and free, and hopefully everyone enjoys it. Well, you, you, like be careful if, if Painter gets banned until then. Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I've no idea. But luckily, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll move on to Black Red Knights. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the best deck. By the way, that's the deck that kinda has submitted to me as a donation deck list. And I literally before, like, before I you know, go into it, I gotta say, you like crush with his decks. So Kinda's a friend from London and he's always played the most wacky weird things and stuff. And he gives you like moderation control and now black red knights and you like four oh or lose the last round or get the trophy a lot, which is amazing. There's something about you and him. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, like the, especially like the, the moderation deck, right? That was also another almost 5-0. You just timed and, out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, against curses. Like, curse them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But for like how wonky some of the decks that kind of submits are, the Black Red Knights deck, I literally took that list, showed it to a friend, and I told him, yeah, it looks weird, but I think this is actually okay. Like, I think this is actually one of the best, but the better donation decks and certainly one of the best <laughs> kind of decks I've received. <laughs> Okay, you've um, got to you've got to like talk about some of the highlights of it though. It's yeah, yeah. So I guess the we're gonna link it in the show notes. Um, the way the deck works is pushing it, I guess. <laughs> 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 so there's there's three basic things. The first thing is we have Urza Saga, which is like always good. Uh, we unfortunately don't have Ancient Tomb, but Urza Saga finds a bunch of equipment, and then we have Farvan Champion, which is Javi Dominguez, uh, World Championship card, and I think all the, the equip costs of equipment are reduced by three. So we put a bunch of equipment on that guy, try to kill the opponent. If that doesn't work, we have Oppression. Uh, worked very well for the British Empire in the past, so we're gonna try it again. <laughs> That's uh, Urza Saga Rare, costs a colorless and two black. Whenever a player plays a card, they have to discard a card. So this basically makes it so that cantrips are horrible, right? So we tried to to Dark Richard that out in the first turn. Never ever worked. <laughs> it, it, it did against Seek and Show. Yeah, yeah, true, true, yeah. true. Actually, it, it really carried us against Seek I and often show. think if you want to be making both players discard cards from their hand, you want to get it out faster than Dark Ritual, so you're down a card as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and we, yeah. That's and, and and here comes the third part, right, of the deck. We we want a bunch of our stuff to be in the graveyard. Actually, really, only Harkon Stronghold Scourge, which is that <laughs> the knight you can't cast from your hand, but you can cast it from the graveyard. And if you got him in play, you can play knights for your graveyard. And yeah, we we got a bunch of knights, and I think the best knight in the deck is actually Nameless Inversion. <laughs> Kill so Dragon Rage Channel. There we go. Yeah, yeah. We, we just like get rid of everything. And well, there, there's, there, there's technically there's a fourth element to the deck, but that never really came up. That's Shelter at the Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> and Wheel of Misfortune. I think we didn't cast Wheel of Misfortune a single time, even though I had a script for chat to vote on it. But Shelter at the Apocalypse is a four, two colorless, two black, four, five legend, death touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. When the opponent draws a card, they lose two life. That card literally won the game against Grizzlebrand, especially since our sneak and show opponent was like, you know, that uh, fifth round, we, we really want to go for that 5-4. Opponent goes, show and tell Grizzlebrand. We put in Shelter it, and we were actually going to lose that race. Opponent immediately moves to draw seven cards and oh, dies. No. Oh, why, no. Why the fuck would you read new cards? I'm, I'm with them. I like <laughs> oh, it. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah, check it out. Uh, the VOD is already available on the on the Discord for Patreons, and it's going to come out next week on my YouTube channel as well. So definitely check that out. Black Red Knights. Oh, it also has Lucille. Somehow that equipment just like it keeps showing up. It's, you, it's didn't good. you make them sacrifice like, a Grizzlebrand and an Embrical with Lucille? I make them sacrifice the entire deck. Like literally, <laughs> that card actually that made a difference in the end. Yeah, it was actually pretty good. <laughs> and speaking of making a difference, we have somebody on the cast tonight who has made the difference a couple of times in the past on Legacy. Everybody, welcome J R. Is it Hamilton? Oh my God, I'm so bad. 
Yes, Hamilton. <laughs> oh, I'm so good. Oh, I'm so good. I, I was totally prepared for this. Actually, I looked it up right before the cast, and then, then I didn't forget. See? That's just all the magic of, of remembering things. JR, you're also known as XJ, and I guess uh, at least I'm going to go with XJ. We, <laughs> we, I think this is the first time we're going to have you on the cast, right? I, I listened to you on the, was it a Dark Depths podcast uh, like a year or two ago? Yeah, I went on uh, Dark Depths podcast and Canadian Threshold last year. Oh, uh, see, I didn't even listen to a second one. But the first one was good enough for me to immediately follow you because I thought, hey, this is actually like a super interesting guy. And now that you did the same thing again, you got second in the Legacy Super PTQ, right? You qualified for, we are not even sure what you qualified for, but I hear you have to pay now that you've won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can go off about that. I was reading it this morning and say, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah, it's kind of horrible. So I qualified for the regional championships, which... Uh, are the new way to qualify for the PT, I guess. Uh, I'm not 100% sure of it myself, but apparently the only people that get free entry are people that qualify via paper uh, RCQs. Everyone else has to just pay 85 bucks to get in the door, so that's wonderful. Oh, five bucks? I thought you had to pay like 85 or something. Yeah, 85. <laughs> Small difference. Okay. Honestly, this sounds a little bit like the kind of scam that my old neighbor used to get. She, she used to get like mail that said oh you almost won this car just send us another 200 euro and then you will reach the next stage of winning this car is that how it works it could be it's kind of uh, similar yeah okay <laughs> so let's look into this you i think most people still today know you as the go-to guy for death and taxes you've basically inherited that or stolen that or well I guess Phil abandoned Phil Gallagher abandoned uh, being the Death and Texas guy. So you swept in and you're like, you know what? I'm the guy for Death and Texas now. But you didn't win with Death, Death and Texas. What happened, man? Well, I, I still can't believe it. So basically, uh, what happens every legacy meta is that it gets really stagnant and boring, and then I stop tinkering. The thing that always interests me with building decks is like trying to tinker them and adjust them for the new metas. I'm just kind of like happy where Death and Texas is, but I'm bored, so I like. <laughs> so I always start messing with new stuff whenever that happens. Like uh, I played Bomberman in like 2019 or 2020. I forget at this point. Um, and then a couple other diversions. I know Callum's also very familiar with when we uh, broke Zerda back in the companion days. A beautiful fox taken from us too early. Uh. Wait, 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 we just like we, we talked about like you you're not mourning the queen but you you care so much about Serda. absolutely oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. that, that was the only time i think in the history of legacy where i was just like wow we've actually completely broken this deck and the reason that Zerda got banned was they said not enough people are playing it but the win rate in leagues is way 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 too high so we're just gonna nip the bud now and xj and i were just like 5-0ing every league basically and just it was insane it was utterly ridiculous so give us it back. <laughs> yeah, but otherwise, my favorite legacy deck. I think it's it's definitely up there for me. Definitely. I was like, yeah, if there's a way of getting it back. I wonder if if Zerda was unbanned, you could play it like, but not as a companion. But I don't know. Just be as a companion, it was <laughs> you, so you, broken. You guys, you, you were seriously <laughs> addicted to that card. <laughs> oh, I was. I was. I could just play it constantly. Cool. But yeah, extra. You told us you grew bored of Death in Texas. So is, is that literally what happened? You, you you just sat down one day and you're like, okay, you know what I want to play? I want to play Dragon Stompy. Like, that, that's the shit. I mean, kind of, yes. That's the, I guess, short story. Uh, the longer story is that I talk a lot with Goblin Lackey, uh, Eli. And 
at the very at the beginning of uh, Unlicensed Hearse getting printed, he was playing Unlicensed Hearse and Fable the Mirror Breaker and Goblins a bunch and talking to me about how good they are. And then I just kept looking at the cards and going, these cards are pretty good with Ancient Tomb. And obviously you gotta play red for Fable the Mirror Breaker. Can we just like put these cards into Moonstompy and make the deck good again? Because that deck had been kind of dead for like basically since Modern Horizons 2 got printed. Uh, and turns out, yes, you can just put Fable in the deck and it gets a lot better. <laughs> yeah, I would go so far as saying as Fable is the best card in the deck after yeah. Ancient Tomb, probably. 100%. Like, it's, it's such an unassuming card. Maybe we should talk about that card more because it is definitely, I think, uh, to thank or blame, however you want to, perspective you want to come from it, it is to thank for Moonstone coming back. And it's been on a tear, really. Like, it's kind of simmered down a little bit the last few weeks as people are probably packing more hate and especially with Minsk and Boo and Maddening Hex we're going to see more Hydro Blasts and stuff but the deck is still continuing like to put up above 50% win rate and stuff and we are seeing it consistently do well in bigger events and it went on a tear like the event that you in the leg super qualifier it was like a 60 something percent win rate with like a massive conversion as well into the top eight it was it's a monster really and it is thanks to Fable and Fury I think is probably the second best card do you agree? Yes, basically the the deck got a lot of new toys, but I think um, kind of faded away in popularity in favor of a lot of the other stuff. Uh, Murktide Regent and Prismatic Ending really did a number on mm-hmm. all the cards. Yeah, but definitely. Fury was a powerful addition that just didn't really get played with because the deck kind of died. So then when the deck came back, everyone was like, wait, this Fury card is really messed up when this deck is <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played, um, I played against it. Uh, one of uh, our LMs, and it was with someone using the Fireflux Squad version still, and then he attacks and, like, XL two goblins, I was like, oh, oh, you're going to try and hit some Furies. Oh, my God, please don't do that. And, yeah, that realization. Fireflux Squad is now gone because it's just, like, kind of unnecessary, isn't it? it? It's the four mana thing is just such a high cost versus anything that costs three, and it's, you're already kind of, you know, you have too many threats to play with now. You've got, like, Rebel Master and Legion Warboss and the new Squee as well as the Fables and the Furies and stuff. You've kind of... The deck's finally got, like, a real choice of threats, right? In the past, it was always, like, you know, you put your Chalices and your Blood Moons and your Trinisphere's, and usually you just have four Makers as well and four Trinisphere, but now, like, the numbers are, like... You always play four Chalice and four Blood Moon currently, but then you have, like, two to three Trinisphere's, sometimes zero. Two Makers is kind of what I'm seeing the most of. It's... I don't know, the options are there now. It's it's actually quite interesting. I've had Sahar Mahadi talk to me a lot about, you know, tuning the numbers and stuff because she's at the four season this weekend and i've been trying to help and i was like did she actually like like top two or even win the the llm she's played moonstompy at three llms i think one she came second one she came um top four so yeah it's been treating Mm -hmm. her really well wow yeah cool so the real question is when when is kai gonna pick this up kai you told us you you were actually gonna play elves at at four season no you were not really gonna play elves at four season well like so if i had the chance to to get the deck somehow like i would have probably switched because um elves is pretty well positioned right now like that's at least what i thought but then i played a league this morning with elves and i and i uh i played against like a painter once and against moonstompy twice and i lost terribly terribly to like multiple copies of fury and i was just like dude i i I hate my love so much this card is just so so like it wrecks elves completely it's almost like a terminus it's like oppressive levels it's it's so absurdly strong right Um, except that it doesn't even cost mana you know like that's like the crazy part about it and 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 the the thing is like that elves cannot do a slow game against moonstompy because of you know just how how the matchup works right like you like you gotta raise you, you, you gotta commit like you um everything on the board and hopefully you go for na- um, natural order as ASAP 
but sometimes you don't get to that turn, you know, but you still have like a, a you know, I don't know, like four, five, six creatures on the board and then they fury everything and you know, your cradle sucks and life is like, <laughs> life, life, life is so bad. And like, and I thought, that, you know, like the crazy thing about this is that like fury was around for like so long, like quote unquote so long already. But I think the Fable of the Mirror Breaker really made that card fury playable in Legacy. Um, you know, like, which was like a, I don't know, it, it's just really like opened my eyes um, just, yeah, this morning. I was like, dude, maybe, maybe Elves is actually not that good if, if everyone plays Furies. I don't know. Like, it, it was just, it was just terrifying to see Furies, really. Like, well, it's, I've, I've it's, seen Andrea Mangucci drop the deck as well, right? He, yeah. He, I think he even posted, oh, the magic is gone. Like, which is, that's so dramatic. Right. Like, when like, you put down a deck and you say, oh, the magic is gone. Yeah, it's it's almost like you know, like 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 emotionally, it was it's it's like if you put tendrils of agony on this deck, and opponent goes like, oh, it flusters storm, you know, like that's like kind of like the same. Just you know, I just cocked, I got kicked in my ball so hard, kind of feeling, you know. Yeah, and then you have to rebuild with Elves and actually right. do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so be- before we move deeper into the deck and understanding the deck, uh, we we got a couple of listener follower questions for XJ, and we're gonna start with the one from Stoneheart. Is it common for more vindictive members of the legacy community to refer to Moonstompy as a quote-unquote brainless deck? In your opinion, is this true? If not, where does one find strategic agency with the deck? So how brainless is the deck really? Because I have a lot of thoughts about that, but I don't want to, like, you're, <laughs> you're the guy here. Yeah, so I do think that decks like Moonstompy and, like, similar veins, Eldrazi, Stompy, most decks that are just trying to, like, slam Chalice on turn one do get a bad rap of being brainless oh you just cast your log piece and then your opponent doesn't do anything you just kill them but <clears throat> i do think there is a lot of agency to be found in these decks it's just very very different than playing cantrip decks um and as uh, someone who basically has never cast a cantrip in their life uh <laughs> i find i find that there's a lot of interesting play patterns in these non-cantrip decks uh for moonstop specifically a lot of it is agency with mulligan decisions and sequencing your early game plays because the deck kind of compresses the game so much it does try to you know lock a player out and win in short order with a really fast aggressive creature your your early game plays matter just so much more you don't just get to oh i'll keep my two ponders or whatever ponder into something else uh make my 36 different micro decisions over the course of the first uh, four turns no it's Am I going to win casting my turn one Rabble Master, or do I need to cast this Blood Moon? Stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and to me, it also felt like when when that thing started, because that wasn't there from the very beginning, like the deck showed up in 2007, and I think it was quite a couple of years until people attached that stigma of, oh, this is the brainless deck to it. And, and I was really like, wait, this you think is brainless? Like, have you ever played that? Because I, I didn't play it myself, but uh, a lot of friends of mine played it back then, and I would like sometimes watch them. You would discuss lines, and I feel like, dude, this is like I see this guy losing because he thought he needed to commit to that turn one city of traders, and then he loses because that's really not how you were supposed to do it. And I think it really teaches you. Well, moderation is maybe too much because sometimes you really got a champ because you know that this is like hit or miss. But yeah, um, I think. People are really not giving the deck enough credit. Uh, I don't I, even want to say totally there's like yeah. a lot of stupid decks in Legacy because there's actually very few decks that are actually label as stupid, I would guess. But this certainly is not stupid. Like, b- b- far from it, even. Yeah, the rep it gets is ridiculous. Especially now, maybe in the past, like when it was more, it looks like you'd have, you know, you're stuck with your threats and they do this the same thing. But now you have even more decisions based on like, 
Um, the Fable gives you a ton of decisions based on what you're discarding and stuff. Uh, land sequencing is so, so important in the deck, especially against Wasteland decks. I find Moonstompy harder than like Cantrip decks, honestly. I think Cantrips mm. are way, way overrated <laughs> in, in how hard they are to play. So, yeah. yeah this this is hard over Doomsday, right? <laughs> I mean, you must be. I'm not <laughs> going to talk about Doomsday because I cast it and then lose very often. But. Oh, wait, so, so, I mean, so here's my question. Like, did you get more concessions to a turn one Blood Moon or a turn one Chalice? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Callum. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so, so let's have a look at the deck because when I still played it, like, many moons ago, it, it had, like, all that... Well, cool stuff like Arc Slogger, Gathon Riders, uh, Four Erectors, Pit Dragon, which is where the, the OG name of Moonstompy came from. I think uh, Dragon Stompy came from. I think these days Moonstompy or, or, or Rat Stompy or what, whatever people choose is, is the go to name, I guess. Hey, Goldfish is calling it Blood Moon Aggro now. Um, I yeah. kind of I say Moonstompy. It's. Blood Moon Aggro, yeah. It yeah. gets called Red Prison a lot, which I think kind of comes from the older, some of the older versions from a couple of years ago that played like. A bunch of bridges, main Chandra's and Karns, but it's definitely like much less of a like full on prison true. deck now. That's true. Yeah. Oh, by the way, um, this is a question that was submitted by Evan Lessar, but also something I've been wondering about. So many famous Death and Texas players, like let it be, I don't know, Phil or in Europe, Marius Hausmann, like people who played a ton of Death and Texas go and change their lives and all of a sudden become Dragon Stompy players. Like, what what's the deal is there like like some agency that helps you convert your deck to that or how, how does it work i do think there is something to be said for like cultivating the play patterns of non cantrip decks versus cantrip decks so i find it's really hard for me to you know actually try to cast a ponder because it's just a skill that i haven't really practiced but I, a lot of the the skills it kind of extend between decks like moonstompy or death and taxes or probably even stuff like painter um so for me specifically, I do get a kick out of casting uh, Chalice of the Voids and Blood Moons on turn one. It is just really fun to do sometimes, uh, especially be being primarily Death and Taxes player where oftentimes you don't really get to do anything super quickly like that. You're, you are playing like the very, very slow, long game. Um, but I, I think where the two decks kind of converge mostly is for people that just really, really hate cantrips, Thalia's. <laughs> uh, really, really good against you know ponders and brainstorms. So it's Charles the Void. It's basically the same card. So you, you must feel really conflicted of, about Fable of the Mirror Breaker then. That's that's basically a cantrip. Well, no, Fable of the Mirror Breaker is great because you just draw the card. You don't need to make a bunch of decisions with it. It's not like do I do I need to, how do I stack these cards? Do I need to, like fetch afterwards? No, you just draw them. It's easy. <laughs> I like it. I like if it. We were just trying yeah. to build up the deck as not being stupid. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> cool, cool. So yeah, we we already mentioned you came second in the 208-player Legacy Super Qualifier, which was good enough to qualify for well, the thing that asked you for 85... I think it's like basically a PPTQ, right? A, a DreamHack or something? Yeah, it's... I've been calling it a combination of a GP and a PTQ. Um, yeah, it's like the... Apparently right. going to be like the size of a GP. is going to be pretty enormous. Um, and then like the top 48 people qualify for the Pro Tour or something like that, so... Okay, so that, that actually sounds doable. It sounds like a really cool event, honestly. Apart from the yeah. whole $85 bullshit. Yeah, and <laughs> having to play Pioneer. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's where Dukes on Twitch's question comes in. What preparation do you do for high-stake tournaments that you think more players should do or apply to their prep routine? 
for me specifically, I, I don't know if other people should do this, but one of my favorite things to do to prep for a tournament is just stop playing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, do, I do think that people uh, more earnestly need to chill out. I think especially in the, the, the weeks or the week specifically before an event, I see a lot of people that just like, all right, I need to get my 10 leagues on moto in to really refine the last two sideboard slots or something. But oftentimes <laughs> I'll just find myself being like, eh, I don't need to boot up moto for like a week. I'll just, I'll go to the event. I'm good. If you're, if you're feeling good about your deck, you don't need to like wear yourself out trying to nitpick your last couple of decisions. Cause ultimately they really don't matter that much. So, so you wouldn't you wouldn't do like the the Kai move of having like a two month preparation for a tournament? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean no, because I don't play that much Magic. But uh, I, I think it's fine to prepare for a tournament like that months in advance. It's reasonable to try to figure out uh, ideas within within the deck that you're you're planning on playing. But, but you should plan to go at least. Okay. Yeah, like, I would like, also like, buy a yeah, plane yeah. ticket. Like imagine if you're like so chill that you yeah, like you randomly book a flight somewhere and then you know it. There happens to be a tournament at exactly that time, and it's like, oh, I guess I'm lucky. And I, so you lucky. Know, I guess I just go. <laughs> actually, happened to a friend of mine. She went to Florida, and as it turns out, um, she that, that was an SCG, and she was like, oh, I had no idea. Let's go there, and it also was sealed. So she was like, hey, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, that's sick. What are the odds? Yeah. So we are back. We we had a short technical break. Where we are going to pick up from here is. Dragon Stompy today, XJ, can you walk us through what are the cards that are basically set in stone these days and what are the flex slots? Like, what do you consider the very core of the deck that's rather untouchable? So I'm rather opinionated when it comes to... A that's lot why of... you're on the cast. That's perfect. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> when it comes to a lot of the, uh, the the slots in the deck. So I think... I what's... do want to hear about the stuff you don't play as well, by the way. Yes, I will talk <laughs> plenty about that. Hell yes. Uh, so what's set in stone is obviously we mentioned a little bit earlier uh, the fast mana and the the lock pieces, four tomb, four city, four chromox, four spirit guide, and then four blood moon, four chalice, and some number of trinospheres and magus of the moons. Uh, basically, this deck's not going to operate at uh, full capacity unless you're casting a really broken spell early. That's kind of what the uh, the the design of the deck is for. You're not going to win casting your goblin rival master on turn three in legacy. You, so you kind of fill out the extra slots of uh, the lock pieces with with the Trinospheres and Magus's Magi. I think I talked about this before, and I don't know what the right answer is. Not sure. I mean, in English, it's basically pick anything because you're like a bestialization of like seven languages at this point. It's oh, like yeah. you're not even gonna try to make it consistent. <laughs> so going from there, uh, I treat Unlicensed as kind of a lock piece, hate piece. It's a weird one that some people don't really like, but I think the card is really good in the deck and people should keep playing it. It's one of the only cards that keeps you alive uh, pre-board versus Delver, and just every deck in Legacy is kind of abusing the graveyard at this point. Unlicensed Hearts just does a lot, it gets really big really fast, and also has just hidden synergies that you won't really see a lot until you actually play the deck. Goblin Ravelmaster and Legion Warboss love to just run goblins suicidally into large creatures, but with Hearse, you can, like, crew your Hearse with the goblins uh, at the beginning of combat before they get to attack to save them if you don't have any uh, profitable attacks with them. So I, I I really do recommend people play the Hearse. It really does help the Delver matchup a lot, which is one of the scarier matchups for Moonstompy. 
that's not a very great vote of confidence with uh, Delver's position in the format, but <laughs> I do think the, the matchup gets a lot better with, with hers. And then, it's interesting. Sometimes, like, some of the best decks in Legacy, they're like, oh, but my Delver matchup is not that great. Like, I remember when we said that about Doomsday as well. It's just like, yeah, I beat everything else, like, pretty consistently, but Delver, eh... Well, are you te- are you telling me to add full unlicensed hers into my doomsday deck or what? <laughs> yeah, you'll never lose. <laughs> Sounds great. Actually, you know what? That's actually not the worst thing ever because I can also <laughs> use that to protect myself from endurance, right? If I just you know just just keep hitting my own cards. Mm. Well, yeah, you got could, could have not, like you're basically gonna end up with like doomsday, uh, but doesn't really work all that well, right? Because you're gonna have a doomsday in your graveyard, and then if you have like at least two more cards you can only hearse yourself for two and then you still have one card left and i guess then you have to rely on the uh devotion to blue or something like it, it helps i yeah. guess but not as much as i would think but, but i guess you, you can still target the same card twice can't can't you, well, you just, Wait, it, it targets up to two up to okay even better yeah you can See? just target the one you could also uh, crew it with two Thassa's oracles. And attack <laughs> now we're talking. Hell yeah, hell yeah! I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna try to pretend that I'm winning with these uh, stupid triggers. You know, I'm just gonna like make it real big, and that's good. Yeah, people bought out their plows anyway. But jokes aside, Hearse is in- insane against Delver. I had one main deck in Painter for a while, and then had two in the sideboard, bouncing between back and forth. And then I figured, you know, seven or eight blasts actually just does the job okay. But Hearse is just incredible versus Delver, so. I can see oh, how it you're, you're saying like eight main deck red blasts does the job against server. That's good. Yeah, it, you, yeah. You'd be surprised how close it could be, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've played, yeah. I've played it quite a lot. Yeah. I, I remember when I when I took your list, and I did really well with it. But then I played against like Death in Texas, and I immediately lost my first match. And I was like, Callum has never lost to Death in Texas. He's twelve and zero against that deck, and I bring shame. You to have brought shame upon the painter house. Yeah, I <laughs> I'll give you one little trick. That fury card is really good. Oh, is it? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so going back to the thing, yeah. Fury is also like a core card of the deck right now, right? Yes. I wouldn't play less than four Fury. Uh, something that Moonstompy loves just in deck building choices is this modality. So many cards will be able to play a lot of different roles. Um, so, you, this deck never really used to play uh, what's the not, what's the old Fury? Pyrokinesis. Pyrokinesis? Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Because it doesn't really do anything else, right? It just kills things for a pitch cast. It can also kill things for, you know, a million mana. But Fury also just gets to be this giant threat in the late game, in addition to being free removal in the early game. So uh, Moonstompy is really hungry for mana options in the late game, but also is sometimes really tight for mana in the early game. So it's a really good dual role player. Yeah, it's a great way of putting it. It's it's such an upgrade of Pyrokinesis. It's hard to actually realize until you play with it yourself, but... Costing a mana less plays so perfectly with Fable the Mirror Breaker because three mana for Fable into make a treasure, then make another mana, hard cast Fury, and then the obvious synergy with copying a Fury is just puke inducingly good. That you're just like, yeah, they, they just like, I, I've started calling them BFFs, like like you have Wywood Symbiote and Elvish Visionary. <laughs> Fable and Fury are just like best friends, they, they work so well together. It's also such a sick name, Fable and Fury. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're very, very red cards, both of these. Also, yeah, by also- the way, big upside, uh, why I like, I mean, everybody likes Fury so much, right? But uh, when you play against these these chess guy control decks and stuff, like, you get to hit Planeswalkers. Pyrokinesis only hits creatures. You, yeah. you literally, like, you, when you sent me the sideboard guide, Callum, for Painter, and you told me, oh, bring in two more Furies against these decks, I was like, for a second, huh, why? Oh, we, we just, like, wreck their Planeswalkers, and then we go to town for six a turn? Like, that card is so good. I had a Fury once that k- took a counter for Teferi, a counter for Nas, and two damage to a Mentor. It was just like, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
I have one good question, John, on um, a cyber thing is Maddening Hex, because that's one thing I've not been able to work out, like if it's great in this deck or where you bring it in and stuff. What's your opinions on that? So Maddening Hex is a card that I haven't really got to uh, test because it was only out on Moto for, what, a week at this point? Two weeks, mm-hmm. maybe? Uh, so I, I kind of stuck one in. I was interested in shoring up the control matchup a little as well as still hedging towards combo. Uh, so the entire day, I drew exactly once, and I had a Chrome Mox and an Ancient Tomb in play, and I couldn't cast it and almost died versus And. Nice, nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, would you bring it in against Delva, or do you? I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. So I at first, when I was experimenting with the card, I managed to go to a paper event, and I just wanted to play a bunch of hex- hexes because I wanted to see how powerful the card was in the deck. So I played a bunch of main deck just to see what it would do. And I found it was pretty worthless against Delver in the main deck <laughs> because the main deck game plan in the Moonstompy versus Delver matchup is you want to lock them out of the game and they want to hit you with a big Merktide Regent. And Hex does not help prevent their plan or uh, progress your plan, really. Mm-hmm. But post-board, it does get a lot scrappier. You get a lot more removal. You have dead guns and... Red Elemental Blast is stuff to answer Merc Tides, so they do end up getting to these low-resource board states where they have to churn cantrips to find additional threats and stuff. So there's a possibility that you could bring in Maddening Hex against Delver, but I just haven't played it enough to, to be super confident in it. Yeah, that's fair. I, my kind of gut instinct was no. It's basically for what you said. Like It doesn't really... It's another plan. It's like another thing where it could just solo if the if the board state is right, but it needs you to play more of a controlling role, I guess, with like the dead guns and hearse and fury, and you just don't quite have the card filtering to have that reliably. And then double red is is quite a cost against Delver, especially. Yeah. It, it strikes me more as a card as that you would see in what we referred to earlier as like red prison, right, with like ensnaring bridges and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, it does sound better there, definitely. Yeah, uh, since you already mentioned that that guns. Is that basically a concession to the Diver matchup? Is it like the beauty of being able to bounce a Merktide Regent? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the Dead Guns, I main decked a couple in the event, but I, they're mostly you see just like a playset in the sideboard. I It was a little bit of a meta call, but I really think the card is just really good against a lot of the decks right now. Outside of control and combo, it just has a lot of relevant targets everywhere. DNT, not a great matchup, and you need to be able to answer. Uh, turn on Mother Runes, turn to Stoneforge Mystic, stuff like that. Depths was a deck that I was kind of scared of going into the event. Wanted to respect that a little bit. Shooting Elvish Reclaimer and bouncing Merit Lady, stuff like that. And like you said, you can kill DRCs and Delvers and bounce Merktide Regents versus Delver. I think the card just doesn't have a lot of bad matchups at this stage. C- Control was a matchup that I was very confident in, as was Combo, so felt that I could afford a couple of uh, main deck dead cards. Yeah, I really um, like your split of 2-2. Two, two. Seems mm-hmm. good. Would you change that now, or was that for this tournament specifically? I'd probably keep playing some number of dead guns main until the, the meta changed a little mm-hmm. significantly. I, I know the control decks are kind of a mess right now. I'm not really sure what they're converging on, if Jess Guy's <laughs> sticking around, if people are going to play Minskin Boo. If people are playing Minskin Boo, dead gone, like, pretty reasonable Gets still, even, even better. against them. Yeah. yeah, definitely. No, I like it. Yeah, I, I'd definitely stick with 2-2 if I was going to play this. Cool. Cool. So, one more thing. Help us walk me through the decision between two Megas of the Moon and four Blood Moon. That's uh, like I, I see opinions all over Twitter and even offline where people are like, no, this is the way to go. This is what you should do. But I'd rather hear from the guy who actually played the big tournament and did really well in it. 
So Blood Moon, as far as Legacy is concerned, at least, I think Blood Moon is just way, 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 way better than Magus of the Moon. I know in Modern, sometimes there's the question of, oh, like, Amulet Titan has Boseju's or whatever, but it's not really a thing in Legacy nearly as much. Blood Moon's a lot harder to take off the table, and specifically against Delver, Magus Moon, very easy to kill because it turns all their lands into mountains and they cast Lightning Bolt. Blood Moon, though, cuts them off of their ability to double blue for Murktide, which can be relevant in Game 1, even though it's not a great card in the matchup, it at least has a role to play. I feel like the difference between Blood Moon and Magus is so uh, strongly between Game 1s and Game 2s, because Game 1s you're not seeing the Force of Vigors, the Serenities, all that kind of stuff, and you are seeing the Lightning Bolts, obviously. But then... It's like, people are going to bring those cards in against you anyway, but they already have the Bolt's main deck, so having more moons make us, just makes sense based on what people play in their main decks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess that's also the difference with Painter, right? You, Kevin, yeah. you told me in Painter, you, you lined it up and you figured out, okay, I actually want Magus of the Moon, but it's a sideboard card that I'm going to bring in against a specific set of decks that are probably not going to be able to re remove the Magus, but they will be able to remove it with, like, Force of Figure and stuff post-board. Exactly. Whereas if you're if you're yeah. gonna run that main deck, yeah, that's basically what you guys said. I bring in Magus a ton as painter. Like it, it's responsible for a ton of uh, game wins and stuff. It is an amazing card in the in the deck. But like everyone's bringing in Force of Vigor and all those mm -hmm. kind of S cards against painter already. So you just know that they're coming in. It's not even a guessing game about is it Blood Moon or Magus. You just know those cards are coming in. Yeah. So you might as well stress them on the creature removal side and the artifact or enchantment removal side and yeah with this deck sometimes you just draw both and they can't answer they can answer one or not the other and things line up wrong and stuff so yeah maybe it's even fair to say that um blood moon is like generally better against like fair decks and, and magus is maybe like generally better against combo decks because it also has like legs you know yeah like i, I mean it's also like you know i i've lost a bunch to like two two beatdowns in yeah like, yeah i think bunch. magus is like people often ask me I've got like a little sideboard guide I've put in the Discord, and I I say Magus is the best card against DNT and Ant and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. You know what? What that actually reminds me of. Uh, sorry, not DNT. Against... Uh, Doomsday. Doomsday. I was gonna say. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Sorry, brain, brain fart. Brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you, you were just checking whether we were listening. No, dude, yeah, kind of, oh, we, we will take those. We will take those. <laughs> sorry, yeah, yeah. That reminds me of when I brought in submerge against goblins because I imagined goblin lucky in my head and this has like a green face and I was like, oh, submerge good against green. Bring in submerge against green. like it's. Like, yeah, have you ever submerged a ringleader? Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> oh god. No, yeah. but I was gonna say, um, you, when I play Painter uh, and I have I have Magus of the Moon, that's actually a source of so many wins post Doomsday. Like literally, people play Doomsday with their like underground sea, what have you. It's your turn. You play Magus of the Moon, and they literally concede because like they can't make double blue anymore. Yeah. Right. Um. There's like a kind of a uh, situation where if you have Magus and then a Pyroblast, they they're pretty screwed. So. If they, they need to have a fast pile with like LED, um, which usually is weak to the Pyroblast and the Oracle. Uh, otherwise, like there's no cavern and stuff. So yeah, if you get those two together, it's usually GGs. Like you, they can sometimes get two Lotus Petals and have like a Force or a um, Pat's Indication or something. But yeah, th those two cards together is good <laughs> enough to win usually. Yeah, pretty mm -hmm. much. Like I, I mean, I made it a habit to like almost never pass against. Um, more mono red because like they have they have so much stuff they can play you know like even yeah. like even even like other stuff like chalice of the void and x zero for example that can wreck me and you know like all all sorts of stuff so uh, trinisphere yeah mm -hmm. so i guess the, the last part to really um understand or at least discuss xj is your selection of threats beyond you know fury which is like doubles as a threat and a removal spell and that, that are the rebel masters the uh 
Squeak, Dubious Monarch, and I guess also the Warboss, because you, you're running a split here now, right? Is that like experimental? Did you did you decide on a future change, or how does it work here? So I think Rabble Master is just like the best threat the deck should always be playing. I have a lot of opinions about uh, other threats that people have been putting in this deck. <laughs> but Rabble Master is great. Warboss is an uh, okay Rabble Master replacement. But I've not been super thrilled with it, so I have the one copy. Squee, I think, is really good as the very first copy in the deck. I think the follow-up copies have pretty diminishing returns. The card's legendary. It doesn't really work with the third chapter of Fable very well, where Goblin Rowl Master punches for a ton. Um, but the first copy is just really good. You can I've discarded it to Fable and recast it out of the graveyard for value. Um, it swings for a ton when you go turn one, or if you lead Rabble Master into... Squeed it adds an extra like five damage on the Rabble Master hit. Just the, the the initial haste definitely fills a reasonable role for a Rabble Master variant that the deck didn't really have before. Um, so between Squee and Warboss, he kind of rounds out the threat base. I think all basically every other threat that people try to put in this deck are bad. I actually so help us out. What what are the bad ones? What are the bad cards people put in the deck that yeah. you don't want to see anywhere close to it? So, first and foremost, anything that costs more than three mana. Uh, I wrote an entire article, mostly out of spite, because people keep putting bad cards in the deck. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't think it's out yet. I think it, uh, I think it's coming out like today or tomorrow. On, What's the on title? The... I, I think I saw the title. That was pretty yes. cool. It was Your Pet Card Sucks, uh, A Guide to Moon Stompy Deck Building. Awesome. Where is it going to be released? Uh, it should be released on minmaxblog.com, probably. Well, I, I'm going to say today, which is you know Sunday the 11th, but whenever people are listening to this, it's probably already out by then. So we're going to link it in the show notes for sure. Yeah. But anyway, everything that costs more than three mana, just bad. The very core tenet of Moon Zombie deck building that we kind of alluded to earlier is that with the advent of Fable, the deck doesn't need to like play bad cards anymore. You actually just you just have good cards. And the deck is designed to cast cards that cost two and a red specifically. It's so good at, cat at just very efficiently casting those constantly with... Your, your soul lands, your fast mana. You operate so many games off of just like an ancient tomb and a chrome mox, or going like turn one ancient tomb, spirit guide, cast a three drop, then play your mountain, cast another three drop, or whatever. Cards that cost one red, red, just kind of deal breakers. Similarly, cards that cost like three and a red, just have to be really, really, really good to make the cut nowadays. I think Fireflux Squad was a relic of a bygone era, uh, just because the deck didn't have good threats. Cost four mana, synergized decently with uh, the Ravel Masters, though. But now it's just, you don't need to play that card. Chandra Torch of Defiance, similarly. Just, you you don't need to be casting four mana cards because there are so many more fail cases than the uh, the three mana slot. Yeah, it makes sense. If if your three drops are good enough, there's no point, like, you know, making yourself play things that turn behind or weaker to days, even if these cards can be good, like... They are a mana more, so they probably are good, but it just puts you in unnecessary risk and stuff. Yeah, there are a couple of uh, three mana cards that people keep putting in the deck that I personally don't like, but people, I don't know. People like drawing cards, I guess. It's legacy, you can't really escape that. <laughs> so, um, Lelia, the Blade Reforged, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. oh dude, that kind of wrecked me many times. That's mm -hmm. like the one card that I'm, I'm mortally scared of. I think it's really bad in Moonstompy, mostly. It's just... It doesn't generate value the way I would like it to. Yes, it draws cards every attack. Uh, but I think critically the first turn, 
where you have your th- where you can get your threat in play is the most pivotal in terms of generating card advantage. I often will find myself not playing out a rabble master into like open white mana versus control or open red mana versus delver or whatever if I think my card's going to be killed before I get an attack with it because mm-hmm. I like the threats to try to leave something behind. Uh, lately, mm-hmm. it can do that if it gets an attack trigger, but only if you have more mana, right? We just talked about things costing two and a red being super important, but if Lelia is to draw you a card, it costs more than two and a red, right? It needs to, it draws you a card that you need to cast that turn. So generally, the first real card that you're going to draw off a Lelia early game is going to be on its second attack, and that's not a, mm-hmm. a critical point that I really, really value. Mm-hmm. And then similarly, uh, Angie's Ravager is the other one, the Madness one. Uh, that just exacerbates the point that I just made because it just doesn't actually do anything the first turn that you cast it. It's just a 3-3. And then the follow-up turn, it attacks, and then you discard your hand and draw three cards or whatever. I feel like these two cards are so similar in the way that, like, some games, they are the absolute most terrifying threat because they snowball and blah, 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 especially um, Angie's Ravager. But sometimes you just, like, you see Blood Moon's tap three mana, and you're like, oh, thank God it's that. So if any card gives you that feeling, is which right. these two can do, if you have like a board presence or something especially, then yeah. Like Lelia is a 3 mana 3-3 three, three that attacks and then gets eaten up by a lot of things as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe Lelia is like the card you want to draw on like turn 6 plus maybe. You know, like you never want to have in your opening hand, but yeah. you're happy to draw it like, you know, afterwards. But I don't know. I mean, Fable does the same thing. Plus it's very good on turn 2 or 1 already. So uh yeah, I That's just tough. sent uh, Wizards of the Coast a petition to allow us to play 12 Fables in Legacy, so <laughs> I got no, you. <laughs> no one yeah. playing Painter, I've actually found myself Dude. sometimes, I really don't feel bad about like throwing away a Lotus Petal to go for a turn one Fable. I do Because you're going to earn that time. mana back immediately. Yeah, yeah. I, I, keep, I keep any hand with a turn one Fable, basically. I mean, it's, also it's tell them, I mean, there are cards called a copy, art, copy enchantment, right? So, there uh, is copy know. enchantment that costs two and a blue. Hmm. Exactly. Hmm. <laughs> Just saying, you know. Yeah, here, here comes Enchantress, Red Enchantress. You know what? That's actually a great idea. It's like, is it Enchantress? <laughs> yeah. Oh god, you can Sterling Grove for Fable. Let's go. Yeah. So, actually, are there are there any other like like pet cards? Like, where you, I guess people can also go and read your article if, if they want to find out more about that. But is there yes. anything that also like really annoys you when when people are trying to push it? Like, I don't know whether it's like part of the mana base or even in the sideboard. Um, people keep trimming on Den of the Bugbears, which I don't agree with. I think Den of the Bugbears is just a really good addition for this deck. Obviously, uh, often you will just have a Blood Moon in play and it will just be a mountain. But um, like I was talking about earlier with Fury, this deck really is mana hungry sometimes, and, but also just floods out horrendously. It has 29 mana sources if you count. It's got uh, 17 lands, 4 Shatter Skull Smashings, and then 4 Spirit Guide, 4 Chrome Mocks. So as much as you want to operate off of that 2 and a red flashpoint, you will find yourself with you know just 5 or 6 mana sometimes in some games. That's just how the, the deck's going to work. So having more things to sink your mana into, like Den of the Bugbear or Sokenzin, are really important, I feel. Yeah, and I've, the, I've seen both be fantastic in the deck. Yeah, and the, the, the coming and tap downside just doesn't really matter because of... Again, the thesis of Moonstompy is just two in a red, and you can just hit two in a red without the Den of the Bugbear coming into tap, coming into play tapped so often, like Ancient Tomb into Den or you know Den Den Chromox, whatever. There are not a lot of cases where I've been punished by Den being a tap land. What do you think of the? I think you won the challenge a week or so ago with the the new Haste Dragon. Oh God. 
<laughs> what, yes. What's it called? Can we figure out the name? Shivan Devastator. Hell yes! Uh, what a, I, yeah. I gave that one specifically a shout out in my article because I, I think they got second in the uh, the Saturday okay. challenge or something the yeah. same day that I was I was playing in the the PTQ. But man, that card is just unplayable. <laughs> there was is that also... the one uh, a red and X, and it's, it's like it's XX and flying haste or something. It's just yes. X, but yeah. So like four mana will be a three three flying haste and stuff. Yes, and that's not good enough for Legacy anymore. Oh come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, original Dragon Zombie players would have been salivating at that card, but oh, yeah, yeah, would have been like people would have called for bans. I remember oh, when everybody wanted to ban like Hammergolf and stuff. My vote for the worst card you put in Moonstumpy, like currently, is Hazaret. Oh my god, uh, yes, I wrote about that one too. People keep tricking <laughs> themselves into putting that the card in their deck. I don't know what it's good against. I no. truly don't understand. No, this one I really, really don't understand. It's like. Uh, four mana and then when you get there like it should be active attack and block but i've seen people like i've had one throw it out really like on turn two against me and then it just sits there can't attack or block because they've still got things to cast in their hand and stuff yeah it was it was okay in the prison versions like with one or two because it was just a way to win you know, behind a bridge but like yeah, yeah. no I, like I, I was hoping that you say it was okay in standard <laughs> like, it was pretty damn good in standard. Yeah, it, was it, it, it was pretty it was pretty good actually a lot of people might remember that the time when uh Moonrun oh. was actually i think the most ba- the best deck in standard back yeah in the day, but, you know, i played i played english game. nationals with that i remember it oh hell yeah yeah by the way i just got a, a whatsapp message from marius hausmann and he i told him that he could submit a question for xj and he wants to know about why are you playing trini sphere instead of karn because Car- <laughs> <laughs> what? Because uh, <laughs> Karn costs like eight thousand mana. Marius has a thing about Karn. He loves Karn. He, I get this okay. question about Painter constantly. Uh, that's if, that's fair. If people people love their cards, so that's respectable. But yeah, in re- in reality, we live in a world where Delver is the king of the castle. You can't be casting four mana spells that require you to cast more spells to be at all relevant, and then. Also, you need to like protect them in a deck that doesn't have like a ton of you know interaction on the board necessarily. Mm-hmm. Just right. Karn is not for this deck specifically. Yeah, right. you you can build it to have that. You need more mana. You need three or four in Staring Bridge main deck, and you yeah. probably play like four Magus as well, and just four Trinisphere as well, and just like more lock pieces and become the prison deck. Yeah. But Ravenmaster has shown that it's just completely insane in this deck. So yeah. yeah. Also, also like I I am not a a mono red expert, but I do think that this deck is pretty poor at protecting planeswalkers, right? Because like everyone just goes face, and like you, you rarely hold uh, creatures back for blocks, right? Yes, like your Karn's gonna minus, and then get an ensnaring bridge or whatever, and then you're gonna get your Karn hit and killed, and then you've paid your, you know seven mana for an ensnaring bridge <laughs> that'll maybe resolve. <laughs> yeah, so I think it really comes from a different strategic point of view um, because Mario sent me a couple of more messages, and he's saying well, it it doesn't complement the the color denial plan and everything, and I think. That's not what you're maxing. Oh, yeah, and he is also asking why you're not maximizing that plan by playing four Magus of the Moon. It's really a secondary thing to you, right? Just just like that whole de- mana denial, color denial plan. You, It feels like primarily you want to go to the face and make the game as awkward as possible for the opponent. Yeah, the, the, the goal is to prevent the opponent from playing magic as much as possible and then hit them really hard before they can, you know, do anything about it. But... Not all, Blood Moon's not great against every deck. Trinisphere is not great against every deck. So it is nice to like kind of have these choices. You know, we built the deck with six Blood Moons, the two Trinispheres, and then the sideboard has another Trinisphere. It has more Magus of the Moon. So you do have a lot of situational cards that kind of come in and out in various matchups. And that's also this deck got a lot of uh, staying power because of Fable. When you have a card that's bad, 
you just get to, you know, discard it and try to find the actually good ones. So you do kind of want to have access to these different cards that do different things. You don't necessarily need to be looking to lock your opponent's mana out every game with Blood Moon, and you don't necessarily want to be, like, transferring every single opponent. Mm. Mm. There's a lot of games where, like, you know, they, they start with the two and a red mana for turn one, and you, like, start thinking, all right, what is the worst thing that can happen here? And you're like, okay, if it's a Blood Moon, I've got the Force. If it's a Rab Master, i got, like, a, a Bolt or a Removal. Then it's Fable, and you're like, oh, maybe you don't have the Force then, but, like, Fable is just the best into... If it resolves, it's the best into anything generic, like removal and stuff. just brings so much value with it. Yeah, I really could not say enough good things about Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yeah, I was going to say, like, this probably covers the next 17 (laughs) questions we have received from your fans. By the way, your fans are really bad at asking questions. Like, if you're listening to this and you're a a fan of XJ... There's more to life than memes. I, I love the memes as much as the next guy. It, it's probably because all I do is shitpost on Twitter, so everyone that oh, follows me okay. also just shitposts. Actually, that, that brings me back to the best question that Victor received from Extortion. How do you manage to get cancelled so regularly? Uh, I Really, it's hard to just resist shouting at people that are being wrong on the internet. And sometimes it's about <laughs> stupid things, and sometimes it's not about stupid things. I actually laughed out loud at your no thank you comment uh, <laughs> yesterday or something. Someone asked XJ about, it was about the $85 thing, and you were very reasonably angry about it. And someone said, you can like be angry at things without belittling others. And your comment was like in no way belittling. And you were just clearly pissed off at this ridiculous situation. And just a clear no thank you was chef kiss. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was a fun one. People, people got really mad. At, I, I was not expecting people to get mad at me for no. saying, hey, maybe the online players should also get in free. Like, why is this just a paper thing? Yeah, but, yeah. I'm missing the point, but... Yeah. yeah, cool. Yeah. So yeah, that, that covers all of the Fable of the Mirror Breaker questions, except for the one that Martin has submitted. What determines the mirror, and is it Fable of the Mirror Breaker? I, I guess determines is, is a pretty strong word. Like, what's what, what's the way to put ahead in the mirror? I would phrase it. Um, I do think that Fable of the Mirror Breaker is probably the best card in the mirror, mainly because, especially in your game ones, you just have so much dead air. The deck is, you know, built around casting all these lock pieces, and therefore the lock pieces aren't very good against you, so they're not going to be very good against your opponent either. <laughs> uh, so Fable gets lets you get to, you know, just discard all your Blood Moons and Chalices and all that garbage and try to draw into the, the creature half of your deck, which is basically the only thing that matters. Is Fury up there? Oh yeah, Fury is also definitely messed up. Yeah, I've <laughs> I've explained to... Painter is probably quite similar in the mono-red matchup. Like, obviously... Painter's just trying to combo you and you're trying to like smash face with the goblins, but there is a lot of similarities between the Fable and the Fury, and I've often said like you mulligan to Fury essentially all the time. It's just the absolute best card from Painter against this deck. Yeah, I played against Painter in the PTQ in round two, and mm-hmm. then uh on turn one I went Chalice of the Void on the play, and then they went uh Soul Land cast Fable of the Mirror Soul and Simeon Spirit got Fable of the Mirror Breaker and I went, Oh no. And turn turn two, they went attack Fable, second Fable of the Mirror Breaker oh, and the game was just instantly over. Yes. <laughs> it was so Ooh. funny to try to work out the numbers of this because I started playing four in Painter that is, and then I was like, it's probably too many, but it's a new card, I just want to try it out. And then I, I then went back down to two and then quickly went back up to four again. But I was just like when I was playing, I was like oh man, I've got like three in my opening hand, so I might as well play one turn one, and then I guess I'll play one turn two, and then, huh, I'm actually just not discarding the extra ones, even if it's three mana. This is, they all work together really well. It's funny, that. Yeah, it's yeah. rare, right? That, that a card that has this kind of effect that you want to keep multiples of it, uh, mm-hmm. even if you if you could discard them. I like that. Yeah. So, 
we established that this deck is really good. We've also seen the legacy data collection guys um, putting together numbers. Conversion rates have been through the roof for Dragon Stompy, which usually is not a thing that holds up as people try to adopt, uh, adapt. But let's take a look at the most played decks. Let's start with... Actually, we have an expert here. Callum, what do you think about the Doomsday matchup? No, <laughs> Kai, <laughs> do, do you want to play against this deck with Doomsday? Is it like, okay, uh, or... Uh, not at all. Um... I, I much rather prefer anything else, probably. Um, Even Delver? I think, yeah. Well, it's it's kind of close, right? I I guess I guess like sometimes like the most games I I win with Doomsday against um, Moonstompy are those games where they go like turn one Rebel Master or like like a non non Chalice non Blood Moon card basically, and I have a free fast hand. But then they also exactly the same kind of games where like they open with a Rebel Master and I have like a a hand with like. I don't know three lands and then four cantrips or some, something like that, and I just I just cannot keep up with that clock because the clock's really real fast. Um, doesn't it does get a little better post sideboard I think because I bring in um, those uh, force of negations, but it's still it's still pretty pretty tough. Cavern souls doesn't really work. Uh, there are a couple of blasts, you know. You just like gotta like play around so many things, and again like the, the clock is a real thing. So uh, I I I'd probably say that it's pro slightly negative for Doomsday. But not not as shitty as Painter, but you know, still <laughs> still bad. <laughs> Music to my ears. Yeah. Actually, so is that your experience? And and like like of the top decks, what do you not want to face if you if you could choose? Uh, Death and Taxes number one. I think that's probably the worst matchup for this deck. None of your lock pieces are good. They just have a ton of removal and stuff. I did manage to beat Death and Taxes in the the PT cube. I think I got pretty lucky. But yeah. DNT is kind of a nightmare matchup, and then other matchups where your hate pieces start to get worse and worse uh, are matchups that I'm not super excited to see. So like green white depths, where your blood moons are kind of okay but answerable and can lead to like free merit lages, stuff like that are a little bit scarier. And like I mentioned before, I think the Delver matchup's not great, but I, I don't hate it that much. I find it's really play draw dependent. I've won a lot. I, I did a lot of testing in game ones, and I won almost all of my game ones that I won the die roll, and then <laughs> lost almost all of them that I lost the die roll. So. At least you know it doesn't matter then. You can just do whatever. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about the deck's placing overall now? Like, I think it's been a pretty good testament to the deck's strength, how it had, did have that spike in uh, win rate and playability and stuff, and it has kept up. It is consistently doing well still. I think it's obviously dropped off a little bit, but I still think it's in like the top three or five decks in the format. Yeah, I've been really happy with it. I was a little bit scared of the, the Hydro Blast meta showing up with Minskabu and mm -hmm. Manning Hex getting... Uh, arriving on Moto, but I really haven't really felt the 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 pains of that at all yet. Yeah, I guess that's still quite new. It's only been a week ish that they've dropped properly. Yeah, we might see a higher convergence on hydro blasts. And yeah, making the deck worse. I'm worried too, but I think the deck just I don't know. Like hydro blast is obviously great against it, but like with the chalices, you do often open with that, so you're not like, cold to it, or you can yeah, still I, just jam tons of threats into them and stuff. Yeah, I don't. I don't think hydro blast is like a nightmare for this deck no. it's just an, another efficient piece that the blue decks do get to play but yeah definitely not gonna make or break a, a matchup yeah when you look at this it's actually I'm, I'm going through it in my head i'm like how would you even like properly address this deck if you're like okay i i want to make my matchup better against this like what do i even do like this like all these like chalice decks blood moon decks they they inherently attack what legacy is made of and and people are not going to tear their entire deck apart just to be a little bit better against dragon stompy so that leaves me with like the sideboard but what do you what do you sideboard against against lots of, this? Lots of basic planes goblin pyromancer <laughs> i guess <laughs> goblin uh, pyromancer would be sick yeah <laughs> 
I do find one of the better cards is uh, Pyroplasm effects versus the at least mm. the iterations that I've been building. All the creatures are pretty weak to. I mean, Kozlik's returned a lot out of like Jeskai. That's pretty problematic. It's also something you can't really like Blood Moon them out mm. of. Bring so. back Fire Spout. Mm. Yeah, I've also seen a, a bunch of like rough tumbles lately. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, rough tumbles a very similar card. I have the same experience with the painter. They're very good against me, and they just like clear everything apart from the painter. And We've lost the meta game. Rough t- everybody, rough tumble, four yeah. on the sideboard, do it. Honestly, Pyroclasm is really good right now because <laughs> there's elves as well and death and taxes. There, there was a time when, when everybody played Treasure Cruise. Like in elves, people were so desperate. We literally, not we, some people literally played Golgari Charm on the sideboard for the minus one, minus one effect. Oh god, I played that card a bunch. Because of, Pyrom- because so of young bad. Pyromancer. Like literally elves played that card in the sideboard because <laughs> we, we are so desperate against stupid young Pyromancer. Didn't you play yeah. Make Obsolete? That was... Uh, I don't remember what the dust. That's some kind of Oblivion Ring effect, right? No, it's three mana, two and a black. Your opponent's creatures get minus one, minus one. Oh, I... no, 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 no. We played Marsh Casualties. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's close to Plague Wind, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to play both because, you know, screw True Nemesis. Yeah, but, good yeah. point, good point. <laughs> so, so from what I'm basically getting here is, like, this is up there as one of maybe the top deck next to next to Blue Red Dava. And... and for now, it looks like it's going to stay there. Is, is that really what's what's going on here? Uh, I kind of think so, honestly. This deck was surprisingly powerful when I pieced it together and just kind of has stuck around. I really thought it was just going to kind of fade out a little bit, but nope, just keeps yeah. killing people. Yeah, the way I see the format right now, I know everyone loves like a like a list and stuff, but I think Blue Red Delver is still clearly on top. Um, it's not by like tons, but pretty clearly on top as well. And then we have, I think, like Moon Stompy. We have Slesnia Depths. We have, I think, the Blue Zenith deck is actually very good and still underplayed, and it just kind of like puts up results, to, like to an extent. And then Elves, I think, um, DNT Outcast, uh, DNT and Acast have kind of dropped off a little bit. Probably not in this like top echelon. And then Lands is very good as well. Yeah, Lands is a really good showing. I think we're not going to go super deep into, into the results of the, the PTQ here. Uh, I, I selected a couple of interesting decks that are not Lands because I hate Lands. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I saw so many Lands up there in the top 32 or something. They had like a 72% win rate or something. 72? Uh, yeah, over like three or four players and two of them top eighting as well. So it looks like we got two in the top. We get Ally and Matteo in yeah. the top eight and then a bunch of, oh, like, look at this, like 18th place lands, 19th place lands, 21st place lands. Uh, there's a few then. Yeah, they, Shash. lands had an incredible event. Yeah. But yeah, should we uh, talk about a couple of the lists that caught your eye? Yeah, yeah but uh, one last thing, because that's okay. actually like, every once in a while we're tr- going to try to provide something technically irrelevant um, for people. <laughs> Dukes on Twitch submitted the best question, second best question after Max Tarshan's question. <laughs> How aggressively do you mulligan with the deck? Capitalized you, by the way. What are you looking for in an opening hand? What are you doing, XJ? The deck lives and dies on fast mana. You need to cast something in the first like turn maybe second turn of the game basically every time uh like i said earlier you're not gonna win a game casting your goblin Rile master on turn three or even you know like a blood moon on turn three after your opponent gets to play out their fetch lands and fetch basics or whatever uh, the deck's built with four chrome mocks four spirit guide eight soul lands for a reason and it is to cast your things ahead of schedule to make your opponent's life harder so i would say uh mulligan pretty aggressively to have uh good fast starts you don't want to just keep medium hands of lands and spells 
you know you make it sound so easy i'm, I'm yeah, just sitting like, here i'm like yeah actually that's you know like it, it sounds exactly like belcher except that you haven't gone all in <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> has there anybody anyone ever been who's like no actually you know what i keep those land those hands with like no land if i'm on the draw and i can do that regularly like no you, you need mana and you need it fast I guess that's the complete opposite of what people do in that the control decks. And the control decks, people are like, "Yeah, actually, I keep anything. That's just yeah. what I do." So, yeah. <laughs> land and spells. If you've ever land watched an Honorog stream, it's just like, "Oh, this hand has <laughs> you know one land and a ponder. It's probably you know, fine." <laughs> What's the worst thing? Oh, happen? oh wait, wait, my land is a tiger. Oh shit! Well, oh, we drew the tropical. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you do it but yeah um let's actually move into into a couple of more interesting lists um i selected two the first one is another list from the top eight from the top four actually by shia Reto playing elves with four leaf crown visionary and for those who don't know that's the new elf lord that has been spoiled uh, a green and a green for a one one elf all your other elves get plus one plus one and whenever you play an elf you can play a green and draw an extra card so we were like not crazy hyped for that card but now as it turns out this is a more traditional list here not playing re not playing nettle sentinel but playing reclaimer but not like all of the crazy stuff that has developed lately in those lists so more like a middle of the road build and playing four leaf crowned visionary yeah Guys, so what are you see seeing here Elves, yeah, elves aficionado on the cast. Kai, take it away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can definitely argue about that, but uh, we, yeah. So um, a couple of things here. So um, that elf definitely pushed a couple of glimpse of nature's um, like out of the main deck. There, I can only see two copies of glimpse oh, of fuck nature. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, also, like only two copies of Once Upon a Time. You know, like there's, uh, there's um only one fairy you can grab with natural order which is the one of crater hoop behemoth if i'm not mistaken the progenitors yep. or like all the other you know big uh, big creatures are like in the sideboard i generally i i'm 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 you know i gotta say like i'm a little skeptical about um leaf crown visionary and uh, because yes elves does have a ton of mana but like does it really like not like <laughs> not like not every you time right played elves because that's the number one reason the deck loses that your mana is not working out like the mana base is so fragile and you often like just like die because you can't cast your spells. It happens exactly. so crazy often. Exactly. I think like like whenever you flood out with elves, I think that's generally a good thing because you you can still do stuff. You can you can still like I don't know bounce your elves with like Violet Symbiote, you know, recast them, gain more value, cast Green Sands for like max, you know, cast Grist and like all this nonsense, hard cast once upon a time. Like there's like a lot of stuff you can do with like unused mana and so i i my question is rather like how often do you actually have unused mana you you can you can dump into uh leaf crown visionary to draw extra cards like and that like that's like the one skeptical part about yeah. this because i don't think that like plus one plus one um to every elf is like a, a big game changer you know like not if you have greater hoopy mouth it almost Maybe doesn't matter that right that, 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 what i hate about the card is you get the card down the opponent plays plague engineer and still your entire board dies because the lord itself is a one one like if the lord was a two two oh. it would actually make a difference but oh, the lord yeah. itself being a, a one one just like it creates this cascade of your entire right. board dying Right. <laughs> so, so, like, maybe my whole point is like, like, does Leaf Crown Visionary actually fix something? You know, like, like, fix mm -hmm. a problem that's been there before. And like, all, I like, from my perspective, all it does is probably just make this deck a better mid-range uh, late game card, maybe. But that's that's not the issue of elves, I, I believe. Yeah. Um, so y you know what? 
I I actually played well not exactly this list because I just realized there's two glimpses. Uh, I played four glimpses and I think I cut there once upon a time because I just couldn't find the last two slots. But I, otherwise, I played exactly this list in preparation for the podcast. And I agree, like it shifts the focus on the deck a couple of turns back. I've very often been in positions where I got Leaf Crown Elder down, Leaf Crown Visionary down, and I used it just, you know, to draw a couple of extra cards, but not playing more stuff to the board. Like I could use my mana for replaying Visionaries or, you know, going into a Glimpse Chain. Instead, I just like drew those extra cards that I could get off the Leaf Crown Visionary. And in, in the long run, over like three four turns i actually ended up drawing more cards with it but that wasn't always great because sometimes you know if it's like against combo decks they they kill you before that actually becomes relevant where it was great was against all the chess guy decks like the chess guy decks they were mortally afraid of the shit like they threw everything they had at, at that card like if you get that guy down they try everything to stop it and that's good but that's really only a, like not a small part of the meta game, but not big enough for me to like feel. Oh yeah, this is what I want. Like I, exactly. I'm still in a league and I'm gonna complete that. Right. But it it didn't blow me away really. And I, I, yeah. Yeah, and the and at least I was told that elves is pr already pretty good against control decks. You know, because they, yeah. I mean, control is not what it was once. Um, once was right with the sense finding top. Now I also um saw that Collector Oof also moved to the sideboard, which again, like, is another piece, you know, like a, an angle of attack you lose in the main deck against certain combo decks or like, uh, you know, like, like uh, I don't know, like uh, painter st um, strategies and things like that. Yeah, I, I, almost, I would almost yeah, say, like, I'd rather play like a little more, like, like some Lana Wives or something just to have a lot more acceleration. And of course, the full play set of Glimpse in this version, at least, uh, because the Leaf Crown okay. versionary adds, it doesn't feel provides enough oomph over yeah. like the uh, necessary uh, like like over a single um, um turn cycle or something it, well it's so, okay so let, let, let me let me sum this up so like julian's take is like cut all the visionaries just play four land werewolves already you know just <laughs> i think it would be better like of course you you had the, the, the two more glimpses but in a version like this right um uh, right. because and if it, some, sometimes people are like, oh, you could like keep it as a one-off to send it for, but in that case, I'd rather get Grist. Like I've, I've very often felt like, dude, I actually want the second Grist in Elves just because it's so good and you get it so often. Oh yeah. So yeah. And then we have to figure it out, right? Um, in the in the, is it even an Elves list anymore? <laughs> like what, what what like the, the Newton and, and all those guys are playing? Um, I think what's his name? Jörg Heinrich got another top four just today with um that list. It barely plays any Fs anymore. It plays like 12 Fs or something. It's it's basically like Nick Fit and it pl happens to play the best friends team of Visionary and, and Symbiotes. <laughs> but th that one's going deep with like, um, what's it called? F uh, Fiend, Fiend Artisan? Artisan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that yesterday where, where I, and uh, yesterday, to, to me, I live from podcast episode to podcast episode on the last <laughs> episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sure. <laughs> this is where I'm only ever truly alive, right? Mm. <laughs> and yeah, I, I'm curious to see how that works out because I yeah. feel like that deck is changing almost every week now i'm kind of biased because i think them slowing down and going that route has made the right. made painter a lot better against it but i can totally see how it improves their deck in other ways so yeah it's cool i i love phoenix sun so i tried it a bunch in um well mostly modern but it's a cool card so it's it's they've become the the guy's cradle deck basically it's not elves elves has always been secretly like Guy's Cradle is the best card in the deck, but now yeah, Newton from day one with Reclaim has been saying Guy's Cradle is the best card in the deck, so we're just going to play more ways to find it. And now they're just like, they've got enough ways to find it, so they're going to really abuse it as well by using it with the, the Fiend Artisan and stuff. Yeah. 
what I've been saying, I think I also said that in the last cast, uh, not only because of Fs, but generally speaking, I think Stifer would is better positioned than has been in quite a while. Mm -hmm. And didn't we actually see, didn't we actually see like almost traditional Canadian threshold on the Four Seasons streams be before we started? Yeah. I think the guy was like 6-0, maybe 7-0 even. I think he was about to win the seventh round. Yeah, Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, got, he's got the OG foil scourge stifles looking beautiful. Yeah, I, I told you guys, right, uh, uh, while we had the technical break, like, if if you go to Italy and somebody is telling you, oh, they're playing Canadian Threshold, you immediately assume the entire deck is going to be foil. <laughs> 100%. That's just, like, how it happens in Italy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I mean, speaking of Italian meta games, <laughs> Kai, you went, I don't know, uh, I actually didn't know the guy, but I actually watched it. You went on somebody's show where you ranked legacy decks. Oh, yeah, that happened, like, I, th I think, like, two, uh, two days before I realized that I missed my flight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you, 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 um, it was it was Claudio, also known as. Let me look up his name. Ch oh, Gina, Claudio. Yeah, no, China Biondo, um, or, a Cla or Claud um, Claudio underscore um, K K um, one. We're gonna link that. Yeah, uh, we made like a, you know we made like a short metagame breakdown, but it was essentially it was really similar to what we did. Um, like I think like two episodes back, you know, like ranking those uh, legacy decks from like. And the only reason I'm really bringing this up here is, um, like, how much you caught him. Like, that guy hated it. I, he couldn't say it. But when you ranked Cheskai rather lowly in his tier list, he was like, what? <laughs> you will have problems in Italy if you ever come to Italy. I know, right? <laughs> I, I, like, I don't know what it is about Cheskai in Italy, but I think there's truly uh, too many people there who believe that uh, playing Nasser the Teferi is like the best thing you can do in Legacy. <laughs> you know? you, you, maybe that's just like this thing, right? When, when Claudio Bonani won in 2015, ever since everybody's like so committed right. to playing chess guy, just like how in Death in Texas when uh, uh, Thomas Innervoldsen won the GP and now Denmark is Death right. in Texas country. Exactly. It's like when, when, whenever someone, you know, wins a GP, like the whole nation has to play that same archetype, you know, for some reason. <laughs> Otherwise they're just, I don't know, just get expelled or something. <laughs> yeah, they teach it in school, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> While we're talking about Italy, I just want to give some shouts and friends that are over there playing at the moment. Um, Hell yeah. Phil Richmond, who's now living over in Ireland, but he's uh, used to be in London and stuff. He's currently on stream and he's 7 1 playing for top 8 and just won, the, won the first game. So he's on lands, looking pretty good. And he's got Minsk and Boo, I just saw game one. And then Francis Cowper, who we know, and um, Alex Ria, they're both. I think they're fighting for top 16. So Francis is currently in 23rd going to the last round. So we got some cool UK people over there. So good luck to them. But yeah, Phil crushing with lands is pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, dude, you guys are having like a hell of a showing over there. We got a lot of people over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I think it's over 300 for Legacy. Yeah, it was 315. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Super cool. So maybe in the next episode we can cover that. Yeah, I oh, think yeah. we're definitely going to do that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Kai is going to have a lot to say about everything that he missed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was my opponent. Well, <laughs> I, I would have played. Like, if, if you already signed up to the tournament, somebody got the buy in the first round. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, that person. Yeah, that person with the buy. That, you know, that could have been me, you know. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Guys, before we close it out, I want to look at another list uh, that got top 16 in the Super PTQ, and that is Morrow66 playing Enchantress. It's just like the deck, it's so close to my heart because it was my. It's literally the reason why I play Legacy in the first place, because that was the place to play Legacy. And when I see an Enchantress list doing well, I'm just so happy about it. Three minute rest in peace will do work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. That's actually pretty good. Rest in peace is really good. It's just white is not great apart from source flashes and prismatic any at the moment, I feel like. Yeah. 
Do you like? Do you guys remember remember that um, blue white control deck way way back in like two thousand like th twelve thirteen? It was called uh, Rest in Pieces. I think it was like counterbalance top NG deck. Field as well. If, exactly. Exactly. That combo so bad. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I mean that combo was like pretty mediocre. But what I remember still is that um, Rest in Peace completely annihilated um, Tamogolf and Nimble Mongoose in mm. in the Rock Delver, and I kind of see like a, a lot of like you know like parallels here with like um, Dragon's Ray Chandler and uh, Merktide Regent, right? Kind like, of, like, but it's like Rest in Peace kills the Goyf even when Goyf's ready in play, but it doesn't do the same with Merktide. It actually pumps them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. So you, so you need to get it, un you need to oh, get it under the Merktide. Oh god, that's so bad. You know what? Somebody boy. out there is going to be like, Kai said Rest in Peace again is good against Merktide. Gets it down. Merktide, thank you. I'm not 15, 15 now or something. <laughs> oh god damn it. I, I do oh, think, I think Rest in Peace is fantastic against Delver. Like, I'm just making fun of you. But um, it's, it is slightly awkward that you need to get it down like ASAP but it is still great against the DRCs and stuff um, there's just not many decks that can or want to play Rest in Peace as uh, XJ said earlier like almost every deck or so many decks are just using the graveyard in some way even if they're playing a white okay. like it's just hard to either slot it in or you're a, a white based control deck with Uro or you're Mystic Sanctuary or just everyone's using the graveyard in some way right. I guess Death Wait, hold, can use it, uh, but... hold on uh, I think Moonstompy doesn't right I don't think no. there's a card in Moonstompy that uses a graveyard. Well, that's Squee. That's yeah, Squee now. Yeah. Oh, shit. So, sorry, Kai. We can't <laughs> splash rest in peace in Moonstompy. Get Stompy. out of here, dude. One Squee. <laughs> I put it in there just for you. Oh, god <laughs> damn. Ready god. for this. Perfect. God, god damn it, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, looking at the Enchantress list, I think it's pretty straightforward. Like, like four Gelfian Enchantress, four Destiny Spinner, three Sithis, Harvest Sands. Uh, what else? So, we have like four Enchantress Presence, of course, two Solitaire Confinement, Starting Groove, Rest in Peace. Four Utopia Sprawl, White Growth, four On Thin Eyes, two Carpet of Flowers in the main, which I guess you can do. And then as another way, or actually really only one of the few ways to kill the opponent, we got Helm of Obedience, which of course kills the opponent if you have Rest in Peace in play. A friend of mine actually brought up, what about Hellot Haunting? Are you guys aware of that card? Callum is always aware of new cards. I love that card because I had to play in a Historic PT uh, a couple months ago, when there was a historic enchantress deck. Oh, is there in, in historic? There's, there's an extra enchantress deck. Yeah, they printed a lot of like the Modern Horizons two cards into historic. You know, they just like randomly insert cards into that format on Arena. So I think uh, they put like Sithis and a couple of other cards there that are okay. In, in, like... So for everybody who didn't go to the PTQ, uh, Hellout Haunting Haunting is an enchantment, two colorless and two white. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, create a white spirit creature token with this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of spirits you control. So first you make a 1-1, one, one, then you make a 2-2, two, two, a 3-3, three, three, and so on, and of course all the other ones grow as well. And if you have 7 or more enchantments, all your creatures also have flying and vigilance. So that's, I guess the, the, the obvious comparison is Sigil of the Empty Throne, which costs 1 mana more and always makes 4-4 four, four angels. Mm. And... The, the idea behind that card over something like Helm of Obedience is that this card does something on its own and it's reasonably powerful on its own if you get it down against... Uh, we keep going back to how everything is good against control decks. <laughs> if, you, if you get it down against a control deck or even like a mid-range deck. Like even against against elves almost, like I want to say. Um, well, they, they will probably like kill you with Kratov before that becomes relevant. But... We've got to punish just like control players yeah, more. Yeah, but also like that, that's also an enchantment, right? And not an artifact. Maybe that's like a little bonus point in, in comparison mm -hmm. to like Helm of Obedience, maybe? Mm -hmm. Of course, the upside of Helm of Obedience is you, you get to kill your opponent dead immediately, basically. Uh, okay. But you, it's a two-card combo and the Helm alone. 
Like people say, ham sometimes does something, but it like not really. Right. <laughs> it's like you you pay six mana for ham, and then you get a devil of secrets that never flips. It's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> wait, you got you got one green sun center. If you yeah. get one sorcery in your deck, gotta believe. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if yeah. actually like if if it flipped with the one green sun center and you win the game that way. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, like uh, one random thing, I, I just I just noticed is like the, I think this guy came prepared for the mirror, but because I could also see two copies of Poseja who endures in the main deck already, you know. So, uh, you know, some pretty good tech against the mirror as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that side, it seems like a pretty nice shoe in for the deck. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty easy to, to, to play it in that deck, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And, and then in the sideboard, we see two Fateful Absence instant, a colorless and a white, destroy target creature or planeswalker, its controller investigates. Oh my god, we should probably, like, like not do an, a whole episode about investigation, but about intimidation. No, what's, what's the new thing with E that everybody Init does? Initiative. Yeah. Initiative. That's the one. Thank you. Oh, I'm so happy yeah. with XJ on the cloud. Uh, on the cloud. <laughs> on the cloud. <laughs> on the cloud. <laughs> uh, You're the guy who's keeping this cast together. Just this morning, I've kind of like bothered to read what Initiative does. It's, it's really good. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I almost talked about it when we were chatting earlier about options, but uh, we kind of oh, glazed that, over it. That uh, format of yeah, Caves yeah. of Chaos Adventurer. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it's that good specifically because, you know, the, the four mana flashpoint. But yeah. um, Initiative is currently destroying Popper right now, I think. Yeah. I think it's the most broken mechanic by far. <laughs> I think it has a place in Legacy if they give us some of the other Initiative cards. I've been yelling about White Plume Adventurer for yeah, several weeks. Yeah, I can see I can see that with me good. I, I just didn't read what it does for ages. I've been co copying <laughs> the uh, the Twitter book of if someone plays a card with Initiative, I'm just going to turn it upside down. <laughs> but actually, do you want to explain what Initiative does? Because I'm sure so, like Kai and Julian don't know. I actually do, but I, I don't. <laughs> and I know what it does, and I know it goes into the Undercity and that the Undercity is good, but I yeah. actually but do don't know how, what the Undercity Do you know how the, the Initiative actually works as well? We're just going to go with what XJ is. XJ is <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I, I did, but I already forgot. So yeah, I, I, I totally know too. Yeah, yeah. You're going to win so many games because the opponent just like doesn't care or doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, just instantly gives up, yes. So it's basically Monarch. Uh, whenever you play your first initiative card, you gain the initiative, which is the same as the Monarchy. Uh, if your opponent deals combat damage to you, they take the initiative, etc. Except... Um, <clears throat> on your upkeep, you will venture into the Undercity, and then also every time you gain the initiative, you will venture further into the Undercity. And then obviously there are a bunch of rooms, for those of you that understand the dungeon mechanics, uh, but primarily the the really good room is the left-hand room, which goes, I, I believe, the top room is Lay of the Land, so whenever you gain the initiative, you uh, immediately get to search your deck for a basic put in your hand. Uh, and then the following room is put a plus two, put two plus one plus one counters on a creature you control. And then the room that I find is the most messed up by far is uh, the third room, which is target opponent take deals or uh, loses five life, which is just an enormous amount of damage for just, these like stompy strategies to be oh, aggressive. Oh yeah, love Rexy. Especially yeah. with uh, the, the the room before it being two two one one counters. If you do something like play a white plume adventurer on turn one, which uh, you can't do on Moto right now, but uh, <laughs> that thing becomes a 5-5 five, five on your next upkeep, and then the turn after that, it also domes them for 5 and then attacks for another 5, yeah, so it's like geez. 15 damage over 3 turns. And then the 4th room is draw a card, and then the, the, the final room in the dungeon is, like, you look at your top I think it's 10, 10 cards? 10, 10 I think, cards, yeah. maybe? Yep. Grab a creature, put 3 one, one counters on it, and it gains Hexproof until your next turn? <laughs> yeah. There's also, like, a right-hand room, but I don't know what that one does. 
does. Yeah, I, well, I think the left ones what I've heard about most as well. Yeah, the left rooms, the left rooms are the broken yeah. ones. But yeah, yeah poor right, people right just playing like dark ritual right and bar ritual and lotus pedal to play things out turn one basically. Yeah. <laughs> so to quickly go over the right rooms. They are scry two, create a treasure token, and create a four one black skeleton creature token with menace. That's so much worse. Yeah, I mean the the right room could be helpful if you don't actually have a board presence. Like you get to like scry two, find stuff. Mm-hmm. The treasure token's kind of useless, but then you get like a four one skeleton stuff like that's kind of nice. But I think the big thing uh, about initiative versus monarchy is that initiative combos with itself, whereas monarchy doesn't. Because every time you play a new initiative creature, you get to venture further in. It's, whereas if you play a second monarch creature, it just doesn't do anything. So you can really turbo through the dungeon really fast. Um, I was testing Caves of Chaos Adventure a little bit, and I had a point where I played. A Caves of Chaos Adventurer and had a Reflections of Kiki Jiki and copied it, and then you just oh. venture, th- you just crash <laughs> your way through the dungeon really fast. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Pretty gross. Cool. Yeah, do you think there's, is there any initiative cards that would see in Legacy after White Plume Adventure? Which I, I really do see there, like just either in a White Stompy deck or. Yeah, I do good. really think that there's a place for a White Stompy deck somewhere. I've been really trying to make it work, but I do think a card like White Plume Adventure could. Yeah. could kind of fix it. It does feel like it's almost there. Like, there's been a lot of cards that have been added to the pool of options for it, but it's still not kind of broken through. Like, Arkham and Mario, I think, is amazing. Solitude's mm-hmm. got to be a great card in the deck. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know if you even go, like, the Soldiers or any kind of, like, a cavern-based route, but you just have a ton of good white stompy cards if Plume Adventure comes, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I've been I've been trying to to tweak the deck to kind of, kind of mirror a lot of the Moon Stompy deck-building decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, if there's something that's going to make it good, I think White Plume Adventure is like actually secretly broken yeah. in the deck. But we'll never know until Moto gives until us uh, the rest. The rest do, of do you them. think the deck could be like, like how much of a cost is two color for Stumpy decks? Because I'm thinking like you could be red white, mostly for Fable, honestly. But like with uh, the dragon as well, the cycling dragon, maybe. I did kind of think about it. I entertained the idea. Most of this is just kind of like random like ideas i've written down on a, a notepad or something yeah, on my yeah. phone <laughs> but uh the fact that fable and initiative both can color fix you is really interesting the first mm-hmm. room of initiative gets you a basic land and then fable can attack and make treasure tokens so it's really interesting that you can just kind of uh dump a bunch of fast mana or something to try to power one of these cards and then it will also stabilize you to cast future spells like turn one fable into your white blue adventure or vice versa yeah i could honestly see this like if you have enough things that randomly generate treasures and all that kind of stuff or loot or all this kind of stuff yeah yeah i, I could see the fabled um two color stompy deck i hate working out those mana bases though it's, yeah. it's always a nightmare <laughs> i'm not gonna touch it <laughs> you'll you'll see the trend with the decks i build and they're always one color because i hate mana bases oh I- so that, that, that begs the question where are you gonna go next so you've you've mastered white you've mastered red like what are you gonna try to do next i always think about trying elves someday um it's the I, hip thing to do like i don't know like everybody's like you you know how, how how there's like hip parts of town then there's like a lot of gentrification going on and it's like uh this is not really the hip part anymore we've moved on to something else <laughs> and this is why like like people like you and kai and even like Caleb, you also came in, into the apps <laughs> i have played it a bit uh, uh, yeah uh, yeah i mean I, I made the decision back in 2013 uh, when I was getting into Legacy, am I going to build Death and Taxes or am I going to build Elves? And I build Death and Taxes, and that's why I'm here now. But, you know, alternate timeline, XJ yeah. Cloud. Who's so you got like, Thalia's over guys' cradles. Yes, veteran <laughs> Elves player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've mentioned this before, but it's so funny because I basically had the same decision. Like, in 2000, 
13 in May, I basically decided, okay, you know what, I'm going to sell everything and I'm only going to keep a single deck That's that makes for like great gameplay, to have fun, to play with my friends every Tuesday night. And I narrowed it down to Death and Texas or Elves, and I went with Elves. Good oh. decision. <laughs> <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> oh, yeah. So before before we close it out, um, we got three quickfire questions uh, from your fans who are interested in... Well, Beagle wants to know, what is your favorite mana cost? Um, I feel like we've I've said two in a red enough on the podcast today. <laughs> I was going to say, I was just going to say that. <laughs> that it almost has to be that. But I think secretly, or maybe not so secretly, my favorite mana cost is probably like one white white. Specifically because I like... Brightling! Uh, <laughs> Uh, I get yes. Shoutouts to Brightling, <laughs> the most unplayable one white white card ever. Um, but I just it, I like card designs that don't get to automatically slot into every blue deck in the world, and generally those cards are uh, pretty heavy on colored mana costs that aren't aren't blue. So it's like if there's a really powerful one white white card that's out there, just like the blue control decks have to like make real deck building sacrifices to to adapt it. Yeah, fair, good answer. Yeah. That's that's actually a pretty good argument. Yeah. Because like every time like I'm I'm so scared of that of like new um, printings that like you know four color control can like easily put them in the decks. But mm. this is why Saga is like, like my favorite card in you know, years I mean, and years and years because yeah, the blue yeah. decks can't take it. But it's also awesome. I mean yeah, that, exactly. yeah that's why you haven't seen Doomsday in a Urian deck so far. Doomsday Urian Saga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the big mashup of everything. We're gonna see it. It's gonna be a donation deck list on high stream for oh, some no, point. Oh no, come on, dude. Cool. <laughs> Next question coming from Franco Boli. If Watsi ever completed the Blood Moon cycle, which would be the most problematic? Must be Islands. Would islands be problematic? Joke? Because like you play so, main deck choke and carpet of flowers. Oh, I guess yeah. I mean, but if you're synergizing your lock piece with like another lock, like Blood Moon's already a lock piece by itself, right? But if you want to like island Blood Moon your opponent and then also choke them after that, mm. I feel like it, That's it would too be much, like I guess, yeah. the the like a forest Blood Moon would be really messed up because it has to be a, a color that can just cut them off of being able to cast reasonable spells. So, like if you give them a white Blood Moon, maybe they could like still fire off their their. Uh, prismatic endings or whatever yeah and, yeah. and green just has the ramp as well right Green's yeah Zenith and green could pretty consistently just even like it. elvish spirit guide to build like a yeah. know, moon stompy type shell i feel like elves might be able to get away with like a green blood moon but obviously this is all theoretical yeah nothing i, I mean we, we kind of have like a green blood moon like hearts hearts oh. of, of gemstone or something yeah that card is much worse than than actual blood. That's moon. true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like it's probably gonna be um, if, if they ever did it, it's gonna be the well, blue moon, blood moon. Um, but I could be wrong. I just feel like that's it, it would be so sweet if they did that um, because then they still get to cast their cantrips, but really nothing else that really matters because like the blue spells in the end don't really matter all that much. Uh, it would be like somewhat meta wrapping, right? Because people then would play like proper bounce spells. Even I don't know. Maybe it's really actually not that great. Mm. I think more Blood Moons is probably a bad thing for the format. Yeah, uh, hot, hot take here. So, <laughs> something, something that I do like to emphasize, uh, people love to complain about like Moon Stompy play patterns or unfun or whatever, but like, it, it, if, if Moon Stompy was the best, if was, Moon Stompy was the Delver of the format, then I think, then yes, that's a very serious problem because Moon Stompy's play patterns are really bad a lot of the time. Uh, casting Chalice, your opponent has, you know, 5-1 drops in hand or whatever, uh, similarly with Blood Moon. But the way that the Moon Stompy decks are designed are to attack the good decks, right? The best thing to be doing will always be casting Brainstorm. Yeah. And 
Moon Zombie's built to combat that. So I think it's a reasonable like counter tactic to a lot of what's what happens in Legacy, but hopefully it's never uh, the best thing to be doing, or I <laughs> right. think it's a serious Yeah, I mean, if there's like mono black kind of helm depth thing, and then there's like, a, I don't know, some Tesserator stuff that uses artifact mana and stuff, I don't know, Moon Zombie's going to suck against these decks, but it's just because it's, yeah, Chalice and Blood Moon is good against the the blue soup control decks and Deliver and stuff. Right. Like we also see like a lot of like perils in, in vintage, right? For example. Like we have the equivalent, uh, which would probably be like Mercious Workshop decks and they kinda hate on basically all those like ch- cheap mocks and cantrips and ancestral recalls and whatnot. Uh but in the mirror, um they gotta play just dumb cards like Womb Call Engine, you know, and like <laughs> yeah. I, I just uh, other like mediocre creatures to uh combat combat the um the mirror. So like if if Blue, um, Blood Moon Stompy actually becomes a tier one like the best deck in Legacy, then they would probably just like, start dropping Blood Moons and play more creatures, and they would be like kind of like awkward mono red aggro decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it, if it ever comes to that point, uh, we'll probably be talking about bans, and that would probably be like really awkward because I'm not even sure what we like. We are very far off actually doing that. I'm just saying. Yeah, uh, yeah. But if we were to ever do that, it would be like a really weird discussion because nothing really sticks out to me. Uh, but yeah, um, it's it's not like when Diver is the best deck. Like people are already complain about when Diver is the best deck, which has basically been almost the entire history of Legacy since a couple of like periods where something needed to be banned. Uh, but at least you still get to play like Magic most of the time, kind of. Um, whereas like yeah, uh, I, I guess we are we are far agree on that. <laughs> We have one last question coming to us from Nidan, and actually I had to reach research that, but I, I devoted like five seconds of research into this. <laughs> Pitch Owlhouse to the hosts. That's some kind of... It's an in-joke, because anti- XJ hates Owlhouse. <laughs> oh, is it? I thought it was some kind of like, like hentai movie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, take it away, XJ. So I've I've been restraining myself from sh- from shouting out Owl House at all, but it's been my recent uh, fixation in terms of television. Uh, so it is hentai. Yeah, <laughs> it's a children's cartoon. Uh, it's on it's on Disney Plus, but I I really love the Owl House. Uh, I, I I never find that it's helpful to describe like the plot of a show to people in terms of like getting them to watch it. Like if I say it's a show about a girl who gets like transported into a realm of witches and demons or whatever, that sounds like you know fourteen other shows that are out there. Mm. But if you describe <laughs> it as like, <laughs> but if you describe it as like, uh, like one of the most popular children's television programs going on right now, in the same vein as stuff like Gravity Falls or Adventure Time or Steven Universe, if any of you have watched any of that stuff. Uh, I just really love the Owl House, and I won't shut up about it. So I'm sure. Is it like a movie or a series? Or it's a series. Uh, it's got two seasons right now, and one small third season that's coming out soon-ish. Not a confirmed date. And it's primarily appealing to children, or is there something in in it for adults? I, I mean, I'm 27. Yeah, 27. I enjoy it. It's it's primarily a children's TV show. I would guess, but it definitely has a, an easy appeal to a lot of older audiences. Okay. Well, I, I I think I might look into it. Like you, I, I've seen you talk about it a lot on Twitter. I never looked into it, but you you Disney Plus isn't paying you, right? No. Okay. I, I <laughs> just wanted to make sure. <laughs> I've I've just been chilling for it since I since I started watching it. But yeah, you're trying it, to it, pick it, up that sponsorship. Great. I can see. Yes, very much so. And speaking of sponsor, sponsorship, where can people find you? What's your what's your Twitter? Your Twitch? Do you, do you still stream? I've, I've seen you stream in the past. 
Uh, I used to stream a lot more. I stream very infrequently now, usually just when I have, like, a point to make or uh, a deck list to showcase or, like, an event that I want to uh, go through. But not don't stream a lot anymore, but it is twitch.tv slash xjcloud. Um, probably more importantly, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at xjcloud as well. Uh, that's where I spend most of my internet time nowadays is just shitposting and yelling at people on the internet. Yeah, your, your Twitter account is one of the more valuable ones in terms of entertainment. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, there's, there's these people, and that kind of includes me, who are like, oh, look at this, I, I don't know, five out here, I did that, oh, boring, 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 and then there's extra cloud. It's more like, like an experience that you're getting. Your there. favorite things are trash, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> cool, yeah, definitely check check out um, mm -hmm. everything uh, XJ has done. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. Uh, I, I hear you're going to go on a tour. Are you going to be on another couple podcasts? Where can people find you in the, in the near future? Uh, yeah, I was recently on Jarvis's stream to showcase my, my matches for the, the PTQ second place. Uh, so I assume that's on his VODs. Maybe it's on YouTube. I don't actually know. <laughs> and then I'm also going to be going on the Dark Devs podcast a second time at some point. I haven't really talked to them, but I know they recently had Newton on and said that I'm probably next in line. Cool. Awesome. So yeah, if you want to find us, we are at EternalMTG on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to find me, I'm itsjulian23 on Twitter and itsjulian on Twitch. Kai, Callum, where can people find you? Uh, it's Sawatarix on all social media platforms on Twitch. Cool. I'm at CallumSmithMTG on Twitter mostly. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, guys. If you want to support the show directly, you can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or supporting us on Patreon, joining the Discord community, just like our Eternal Witness tier patrons, Tommy Hinks, Tastakula, Sebastian Holaga, Guillaume, Hanawar Elf, Sean Dewey, Francis Kauper, and Severin Schwarzuber, and Grizzlebrand tier, Victor Benatzt, Bachibat, Scott Monroe, Jeremy Gates, Henrik Korkutz, Tom Hepp, Andrew Whitman, and Paragon Games in St. Louis. See you, everyone, for the next show when we will learn how Minsk and Boo has completely destroyed the metagame and Stifle is going to be the answer. Is it? We, we, we will find out. I'm, I'm just it always now. is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> See you, everybody. Thank Yo, you. Cheers, guys. See ya.